What up, Pat? Hello, Adam. How are you? I'm super. How are you doing, sir? Oh, uh, well, first of all, all you folks out there in TPN land, Pat and I go way, way, way back. Way. My first entry into the guard unit in Wisconsin, uh, Pat was one of the first folks I met, and he gave me a brief descriptor of what was going on. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that situation. An idea, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I just, just a whims- <laughs> an idea full of whimsy and love on what I was getting myself into if I decided to show up there. Right. Um, and, over drinks, over drinks, yeah, over drinks. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know, at nine in the morning and at the scheduling desk, like. You know, <laughs> Uh, okay. Yeah, we were well, thirsty. Yeah. You're That's thirsty. Yeah, when you're oh, thirsty, yeah. you're thirsty. Yeah. Uh, but Pat, Pat, and I go uh, far back in our careers, and uh, I, I wanted to bring on a guest of a totally different uh, kind of genre than what we have been doing lately, because he is doing something that is not uncommon anymore. When we first thought about this stuff, what maybe eight nine years ago, ten years ago, it was pretty. It was a little. We we're like, yeah. I'm not going to do that. Nope. And we'll get into that a little bit later on, but Pat has gone from flying uh, fixed wing human operated aircraft to being an operator, uh, human operated in the aircraft to a human operator of an aircraft where he no longer fits in that. But we'll That's get, all, right. we'll get yeah. to all that later. Pat, where did this whole big, beautiful journey begin for you? Yeah, well, uh, obviously, we flew together in the guard in Wisconsin, and I'm a Wisconsin native. Uh, I grew up in, like, a small town north of Appleton. Um, yeah, lived in the Appleton area then and saw, you know, the EAA and Top Gun. And uh, that's where the whole flying. Navy, the Navy. Yeah. Got flying for the Air Force. Yeah, I was- right. I took a detour somewhere. Um, that's right. I was, an, I was an Iron Eagle kid, so, you know, we each have, we each have our own. Yeah. Well, and I can't say that uh, my choices have been bad. I think they worked out that I didn't wind up living on boats. So no offense, to the Navy. no offense to the Navy guys out there. Cause I have nothing but respect for those guys, but uh, yeah, that wouldn't have been for me. So I'm, <laughs> I'm good with how things worked out. Yeah. Um, I don't like moving runways that to me is just something I, I don't think I've ever be very good at. <laughs> yeah. I'm not good with stationary ones. No, so no, I'm not. Moving moving so, would be even more of a challenge. Yeah. I, that's one extra thing I just can't put into my cross check. So that's fine. Um, what? but that's what got me driving to to fly. And uh yeah, I went to Embry Riddle, like a lot of people. Great school, great experience. Uh flight instructed through bags for AirTran for a year after college because I graduated in 03. There were like no jobs flying. Uh, how many hours? How many? So I want to know yeah. we so one thing. Uh, Pat and I never really had the opportunity to talk about this stuff when we, you know, you show up, you're a little younger. You don't really, you just want to, Hey, you want to go get drinks? I mean, yeah, yeah, right. you're a meathead like me, you don't really yeah. want to talk about this stuff or you talk about yourself all the time, which is what well, I do. Right. Anyway. Well, enough what, about me. Let's talk about me. Yeah. yeah let's talk about me. Some more. <laughs> what was, how many, okay. So you graduate riddle. How many hours do you have? And I, I guess, cause I didn't go through that route. Yeah. Right. I, I was yeah. RTC Marquette. I just, Mm-hmm. I graduated, did it right into active duty for a few minutes. Yep. What was, uh, when you have that many hours and you come out of riddle, like, what do you, what kind of job are you looking for? Where are you looking for these? Yeah. Jobs? Well, pre nine 11, uh, you were probably going to flight instruct for maybe a year at the most, but then you were going to the regionals cause we were having a real hard time in college. I remember my freshman and sophomore years we were doing, cause every year was basically another rating. So it was like literally private uh, instrument, commercial, multi, and you could throw in your CFI in, in your last year if you wanted to as well, because multi was just an add-on. But the first, my freshman, sophomore years, we just couldn't keep instructors at Riddle. Like, they were gone. They were going to, like, at the time, ACA. I mean, if you remember that. ASA, oh, geez, those yeah. guys, yeah, they're not around anymore. Uh, Comair, like, all those yep. guys were going to those places, so we just couldn't keep instructors. Uh, so, yeah, the plan was to just get your ratings, and uh, and at the time, I mean, there were some people who were just going right from college into a regional if they had like an internship. Wow. And so, yeah, it was just a different world back then. Um, and then of course, nine 11 happened and everything shifted. Uh, but yeah, there was no outlook at that point. So flight instructed for a year or not. Yeah. About a year. I, th- I mean, throwing bags for a year after college, after I had just done like an internship with, uh, at the time continental 
um, you know, I just did like an MD 80, like type rating was like all with like the big iron stuff. And then, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, I'm moving yeah, up. Yeah. Here we go. Oh shoot. No one's hiring. Yeah. I guess I'll throw bags for a year just cause I was waiting to figure out what to do. And then uh, flight instructed after that. And during that time I found out about the guard um, and yeah, I just applied and I knew one person at that unit, remember Drew Hegner, or if you've heard the name Drew Hegner, I don't uh, yep. think you knew him, but yeah. Yep. yeah good dude um so yeah he's vouched for me got me in and then unfortunately passed away in a car accident but um yeah that's what got me into the guard up there and from there on here we are you, you know i think one of the things that i, I want to iterate to people out there especially the younger crowd who who's looking at aviation pat brings up two really good points one is you uh you don't know where this journey is going to take you and number two is don't think you're too good to do the lower hanging fruit jobs that are out there. The ones, you know, you can get, if, so you, true. if you can get a job throwing bags or doing something for an airline, it's better than nothing. It, you, I guess it's the old joke, you know, the guy's shoveling uh, the, or he's, or he's cleaning out the, the lav out of some business jet in yeah. some spot in Greenland that they have to do an emergency divert to and the freezing outside snowing and, pilot comes up to him and he goes man that looks really rough and he goes yeah I, you know i it's it's a lot rougher than being a doctor down in canada which is what i used to he goes you you were a doctor in canada and you came up here and he goes well you know i i had a i had a chance to come up here and, and do some stuff in aviation and and i really left i loved it and he goes, i've got my job offer back in canada but you know I'm, I'm not going he goes what are you nuts and he goes no what are you nuts i'm not I, and leave aviation leave this and you know the old joke is once you're in you're in and you can't yeah. get out uh people stay in the weirdest and worst position oh, yeah just don't don't look at anything as it's below you, especially if you, you have no other options, just take any option that you can. If you want to yep. stay in a career field that's close around airplanes, that doesn't mean you're going to do it forever. It just means you might be doing it for a short yeah. period. Well, I can't, I can't echo that point enough. Like it puts things in perspective when you, when you grind out stuff like that, just to be around that environment, which I mean, no lie, like I loved it. Like I like, being around airplanes like it was great i mean i didn't care throwing bags dumping labs whatever yeah. i mean i was around airplanes it was fun um i knew it wasn't going to be my forever spot yeah but it certainly makes it certainly puts things in perspective and makes you appreciate what you do when you start getting into the locations and the career fields and the higher level stuff that you've been going for when you can when you know you do a walk around now uh you know i work for one of the majors i do a walk around now like like if there's a bag on the ground that's come off the bell loader, like I'll pick it up and throw it back on. Like, I don't want these guys to think that I'm above doing any of the stuff that they're doing. Cause I'm definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so. I think that that shows kind of shows where, where you've been in the career and yeah. you, know, you know, and you, you, that was the thing. So I wanted to, uh, the, you kind of did a, um, the temporal warp. We, yeah. we flew in the guard and now we're here and here we are yeah, yeah I mean, here we are look 15 years later we're here right now yeah. nothing happened in between yeah and i want to we'll jump into the rpa stuff and i know yeah. there's a lot of folks out there that want to hear you know, more of the technicalities of that and but i wanted a couple get into those so before we did that flew casey 135 with uh you and i in the guard together yep. and then we moved on then you moved on to another flying gig in the state which by mm -hmm. the way is I wouldn't say it's it's rare, but it's definitely not common for those no, out there who are going into a guard unit. Moving guard unit to guard unit, uh, kind of intrastate is in our state was very. Uh, there was a brief period where it happened a bunch, right? We had three F sixteen, yeah. four F sixteen guys become yep. uh, KC one thirty five guys, and then we had three KC one thirty five guys go fly the mission that you're going to talk about here in a minute. Yep. And then it just stopped. Then it was like, okay, yeah. done. Yeah. So it, but yeah. there was a period for about three years where it was like all this cross contamination. Yeah. But most states, it's not, not the case. It doesn't really happen. No. Well, and, most states don't have multiple flying units in the guard. Yeah. That's the other half and, of it. And, and most likely that's probably going to become less and less as, yeah. as things roll ahead going forward. Just, you know, if you read the writing on the wall and you read between yeah. the lines, most states are going to lose one flying mission. It's just, yeah. doesn't they they whoever they are say it doesn't make sense we whoever we are tend to disagree but <laughs> yeah. that's not not our not our platform no, to, no so you go up to madison to fly the yeah. venerable 
RC 26. Talk about that. Cause first of all, it's a cool mission. And second of all, it's a interesting, if not um, eclectic and quirky airplane. Oh yeah. It's, it's very interesting. Super cool mission stateside counter drug. Um, So working with different agencies. Uh, Yeah. It's just counter drug. So we just work with their counter drug task force to rid the streets of the bad stuff. Uh, the evildoers evil yeah and that's literally what it is um but yeah i mean there's some parts to it that i probably won't speak about but it's it's definitely an awesome mission and and the, the best part about the mission is uh it's operational from day one you're not and if you're you're balancing out jobs which we can talk about later you know between a, a guard job and then like a civilian job uh there's nothing better than going to your guard unit and executing the mission, not going to your guard unit to knock out another training beam. Yeah. Um, like, that's, yeah, okay, we got to get, you know, you're, you're going to log the pay and it, that's great and everything. And that's obviously a big factor. But from like a job satisfaction standpoint, it really is. I don't think there's anything better than that. And I don't know enough about the RPA world to speak on that, but I imagine that's the same way uh, where you're going in on day one when you're back from training, you're operational. Aside from when you finish, you know, MQT and whatnot. Yeah, sure. sure. Um, yeah, you're not you're knocking out like actual operational missions from day one. So at the end of the year, you look at okay, what did I do last year? And you're like, okay, well, we we did this. We we took this much stuff off the street. We, you know, this much in the way of like weapons were confiscated, or or this much in the amount of drugs. And and you could say that's a tangible thing that we did that last year. Uh, and, it, and it feels better, you know, it feels good to be like, yeah, that's the sort of stuff we did versus, yeah, I got 52 landings and 45 ILSs and yeah, great. Do you have, do you have a specific mission that you can talk about or a memory from flying the airplane in the RC-26? I mean, you can talk in broad generalities, mm-hmm. but I always thought it was cool, you know, talking to mutual friends of ours who yeah. would say, yeah, we followed a guy around the city of blankety blank and mm-hmm. you know, along the streets and and these it's different because you're thinking it's not the same as with friends of mine who are police who you know knocked off the small time guy this is a right. little because you guys it, correct me if i'm wrong but you work a lot with customs and border patrol and yeah yeah and some of the bigger three-letter agencies mm-hmm. who, who it, they're looking at as a different scope it's not to knock out the drug necessarily the drug dealer it's to knock out the they're looking at the infrastructure and how does it support other yeah. tendrils that go all over the world and all this other stuff and you guys are kind of more in that world than the yeah it's it's a different it's a different level of um i guess in that chain that you're kind of targeting yeah um but yeah i mean that aside we did we did a lot of that stuff um a lot of three-letter agencies and uh well i think one of the most memorable ones was we went down to work with the panamanians a couple years ago and uh and we worked with them to kind of get them to figure out how to use air assets with their boat assets and because i mean where panama is there's traffic on both sides of their coasts coming up and down so we worked with them on how to use air assets with the boats and vectoring and all that stuff, along with getting communication set up. Uh, Coast Guard was down there, worked with a couple other agencies. Um, just a super interesting mission um, that has like an immediate effect uh, for those guys. What? And then I think it. So the cool part is, and so you being military guys, people tend to think who are have little to no exposure to military aviation, mm-hmm. especially straight civilians who don't fly at all. They tend to think. Oh, military! You've got the newest, best, just most badass pieces of equipment. Yeah. And I go, you, do you have you? You want to see yeah. the inside of a fifty-five-year-old jet? I'll show you one. <laughs> and it's funny because so what the RC twenty-six? What kind of airplane actually? For those yeah. inside, it's I. I always forget the name. Uh, is it referred to as the sewer pipe or is yeah, that yeah the San Antonio sewer pipe? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, that's the one. It's just a metro liner. Yeah, that they, you'd like to say it's a metro liner that they threw a bunch of high tech stuff into, but it's pretty much just a metro liner that they threw stuff into. <laughs> and that's, I think both of us can attest to this. So when I flew contract work in Afghanistan and the stuff mm-hmm. that you guys have flown, yeah. folks who've flown the new King Airs, the 350s. Oh, those are loaded nice. Loaded up with every yeah. new age, newfangled. Yeah. Gizmo and the new ISR stuff too. It's the yeah. new, new, new. 
Yeah. And you, people come and look at the stuff that we flew. Yeah. Uh, like I flew beach 1900s that had no ISR. They were just people hauling machines. Mm-hmm. But like you get this really, this actually still works. I go, yeah. Works like a champ. Go Absolutely. The wing flies. Yeah. The reliability of that airplane was, I mean, amazing. Like we did not have, and, and it's a testament to the maintenance guys that we had too. Uh, the guys that we had in Madison are just amazing. Like these guys have been with that airplane since its inception into the guard back in the nineties. Uh, and so they just know everything about it. Like in the, in like any guard uh, or probably the reserve too. I, I, I can't speak on the reserve yet. Cause I haven't had any experience with like their crew chiefs, but like from the guard standpoint, like those are their babies, like those airplanes. Yeah. The tankers. Yeah. They're 50, 60 years old now, but I mean, they're in tip top shape and, and better off than some airliners. I mean, certainly less hours, you know? Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, they really I, I take speak, pride in those things. I can speak to the reserve side and the reserve guys yeah. take great care. They take yeah. very it, it's it's their iron. It is. And it's unfortunate when um uh when they cross mojinate a little bit. Oh yeah. It happened at McDill and yeah. They were trying to keep they, so they're trying to keep their airplanes babied and taken care of and they intermingle with yeah. what's on the duty side. The active duty side is a lot of turnover with their crew chiefs. Yep. They not saying that they don't care, but they just don't have the time because they're yeah. not they're not gonna be there for 20 years. Right. They're not gonna be there with that airplane for their their entire yep. career. They'll never have their name painted on the side. And if yeah. they do six months to a year later it's gone. yeah switch it, it out with someone else yeah so they have a little bit of time to put some effort in but by the time they can get their hands dirty uh it's it's too late and yeah. somebody else takes it over yep so yeah I, I i i get what you're saying yeah and it is cool when you have that kind of experience as a oh absolutely That's but yeah those those airplanes i mean they're 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 old and we don't have of course you know the the newfangled stuff i mean i mean you even look at like the f-22 i mean when did that come out Oh, I got a great story about that. You know, uh, I mean, an amazing aircraft, but like even that one's still like what ten years old, maybe older. Oh, I don't know. I don't know when I, that came out. Thirty. I so I did oh, check this. So Edwards is where all the all of our test stuff happens. Uh, and I shouldn't say not. I should let me caveat that. Not all of our test stuff happens at Edwards for the Air Force. There's a lot of other stuff that happens in other yeah, places yeah. for operational testing. That's a big one. Yep. So OTE goes other places but edwards is where you have the right stuff uh test pilot school yep all the all the baby steps an airplane needs to take after it's made in factory uh Mm -hmm. they do at edwards so back in 2004 i was a new co-pilot and the (laughs) the trip we had goes out to do uh raptor testing so this is before the f-22 was this is just before the f-22 is going to be released right the the big bad world so uh we refuel uh i'll never forget the year models it was a 91 and a 92 and this is in 2004 okay uh less than a month later i was in the desert doing my uh i don't know i think it was my second time in the desert so i was a real new Mm co-pilot um and i refueled two strike eagles and the year models on those strike eagles were 99 and 2000. Oh, <laughs> and I'll never forget it because I, yeah. I said, so there's two eagles that are here that are eight and nine years older uh, than most yeah. F-22s. And the F-22s are still in test and won't be out for like two or three or four more yeah. years. So it just goes to show you how long those that test oh, it takes forever. It takes forever. And the, the, I think the nice thing from what I understand, I don't, not an F-22 guy, obviously, but I think they have like that LRU, those line replaceable units that they can like swap stuff out for like newer things a lot easier than some of yeah. the older airframes. Like obviously you and I know the tanker. It's like when something new comes out, they're kind of look around and they're like, where's their room? And they're like, all right, let's put yeah. it up there. Yeah. Where they're can like, we shoot? Why it's, is that up there? Like, well, that's where there's space. Yeah. It's, it, it has that uh smacking of a 737. Yeah, yeah exactly. It was like, if, yeah. the, if there was a Boeing 737 negative 300, it would be the tank. Like that's yeah. the ADU. Yeah. Yep. It it yeah. grew in the monstrosity that it is now, where they just put where yep. I mean, it's definitely a Franken uh, jet. Oh, for sure. Everywhere. Still yeah. not the worst. It's not the worst one I've seen. Yeah. Um, but it's rapidly close. It's close. Yeah, yeah, it's close. It's super close. It's not, <laughs> not an Airbus, and it's not a new Boeing. And right. And it's definitely not jets that you've flown in your career where because after you did 
well, not after. So in, while you're doing the guard stuff, uh-huh. you still had that itch to go fly civilian, get your foot yeah. in the door. Or, and where, so uh, you, you, you started at a, in a corporate flight department. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was that like? Cause I remember you were a heavy recruiter uh, for me and others to be like, you got to go corporate. You got to yeah. go. Yeah. And oh yeah, it was a, well, and at the time too, like I wasn't, I wasn't interested in being full-time guard or it, let's say it wasn't working out to be full-time guard rather. Sure. Um, so I, I found another job, which was great. Uh, and I'll say this again, with anything you do aviation wise, everything is career broadening. You might think, okay, this is not where I want to wind up, but at the time it, it seems pretty damn good. And uh, at the time, yeah, I thought that was where I was going to be. I thought this was going to be like this is the path I'm going to be on. And this is a balance I can maintain. Uh, and it was some great experiences. Uh, and coming from my previous, which was, you know, uh, flight instructing and then getting paid to fly airplanes in the military for training. And then, you know, the guard, uh, this was a whole different world, brand new equipment, like brand new equipment. We had one jet that was one year old and one jet at the time I got in, that was like two months old, like, beautiful airplanes. Uh, and, and it was just amazing stuff. Um, yeah. And, and that's where you think you're going to be. And then, you know, as you progress and you kind of start to get a better perspective on what's going on, you're kind of like, all right, maybe there's other stuff out there, but yeah, yeah. early on, I'll say early on. Yeah. I was a recruiter for corporate aviation. Oh, no, okay. No doubt. okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think I had the sandwich board and the bell and I was running around. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you were flipping the arrow around and saying, <laughs> get your job now, get them all they last. Yeah. Yeah. Man, are you, you're spot on. And I know people who would stay, who've stayed in corporate aviation yeah. and it has its perks. If you if you land in the right place somewhere, yeah. you can be forever, but, yeah. the, but it also depends on the people and it changes. Sure. I've heard horror stories from places yeah. that were great to the devils and they weren't and vice versa. Yeah. The guys I know I can, it's hit or miss. Yeah, I know guys who left yeah. a place because it was terrible. Mm-hmm. And four months later, the entire management team turned over mm-hmm. and the their friends who stayed, this is the greatest place on earth. Yeah. And then three years later, this is the worst place on earth. So you know <laughs> it's so cyclical in places like that. And and you just it really, you know, it depends on on so many factors. And it's it's a lot of it's just personal. They're like, hey, you know, I just prefer doing this or this works better with the family, or especially for guys who are maybe like done with the military and have like a pension. Um, you know, they can ride out some of those changes and and it really doesn't matter. Um, yeah. And I got to say like the experiences were, I mean, it was unreal. The places we got to go, the friendships that I've made since, uh, I mean, they're lifelong friendships and, and and the experiences have paid out in, in so many other areas of my flying, you know, career that I I can't say it was a bad, a bad call at all. No, because well, it's, it's kind of like you were in a squadron. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where the, air, where airlines are, yeah. they have their own unique awesomeness about yeah. them where you're kind of like an independent contractor, but. Oh, totally. The, yeah. the squadron feel and that aspect is gone. Oh, the camaraderie. Yeah. The camaraderie in that group was amazing. Um, and it really was. And, and, you know, it's just the way that the market works that I was like, okay, it's time for time for the next step. Um, and that's when the, the majors were available. And I was real fortunate that the experiences from, you know, the two guard options uh, that I did and then the corporate world were, were fairly unique. And I think that's what helped kind of set myself apart and get into the majors. Well, okay. So you be, you're at the majors, things are going well. Hey, hi, ho COVID. And you know, (laughs) all of that nonsense aside, I mean, it's kind of like every, this is the same thing when I did the interview stuff, when I helped out with the interview stuff people would always go, well, then 9-11 happened. I go, you realize 9-11 happened to everybody. Yeah. So you're not unique with 9-11. Like it screwed no. everybody over, yeah, everybody. almost everybody's career, especially in aviation, got hampered yeah. by it. And I, same, so COVID's going to be the same thing. It's yep. like, don't use that as uh, an excuse to why you yeah. didn't job or whatever. It's because it's, it's, it's valid for you personally, but it happened yeah. to everybody. It's really not a good excuse, right? Right. Um, but then you go on and you go, you know what? Flying airplanes is cool, but what would be cooler than flying oh, airplanes is remotely flying airplanes. Yeah, right. I've so conquered this, the flying world and yeah. the remote flying world. <laughs> I've conquered the flying world. 
No, I don't, that's not my mentality at all. <laughs> yeah, I have now best of Chuck Yeager, Neil Armstrong, the Wright yeah. brothers. I don't need to go to the moon. Armstrong. I've already, I got this figured out. Yeah. Elon Musk, you enjoy Mars. Have fun. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. remotely fly something yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Are you doing that? No, you're not. No. So <laughs> why? Okay, let's first, the why. Yeah. That's my most curious question. Yeah. And I think there's always a lot of different whys out there for why sure. people stuff. But I think yours is kind of, it's interesting because I think it's mm -hmm. multifaceted. You're not doing it specifically for one reason. So right. why are you, why did you become an RPA, <laughs> RPA operator or whatever? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it's called. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't have any idea. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, everything was, was moving along really nicely for us in the airline world and in the military world, everything was great. Um, I was commuting though, which that's kind of like in hindsight, a very challenging thing to do is to commute to both jobs. Oof. So I was commuting. Yeah. It's everyone says, don't do it. And I'm like, Oh, it's fine. And it really wasn't that big of a deal. I really didn't mind it. Nobody um, else. Everybody else says I shouldn't <laughs> do it. You know what? I'm, I'm better. Gonna show, than I'm going to show them wrong. So yeah. I'll show them. Yeah. I'll commute to three jobs. Give me yeah. another. One. Let's add another one. Yeah. So yeah. So I was commuting to two jobs, uh, the, the guard and then the airlines. Um, and then COVID rolls around and prior, prior to COVID, like, uh, you know, we were, we were knocking on the door of captain within about five years in the, in the majors, albeit on like, you know, one of the smaller narrow body jets, but still, I mean, that's a big deal. Oh yeah. So, uh, yeah, that disappeared. Um, as soon as COVID hit and travel stopped and the writing was on the wall that there was going to be a furlough. I mean, that was pretty much what was coming down the pipe and everybody Every airline pilot I flew with had always said, you know, it's going to happen to it's going to happen to everyone at some point in their career, and you're kind of like, no, it's not. And sure enough, here we are, uh, January, February timeframe, stuff starts hitting and slowing down. And I started thinking, okay, if I get furloughed, uh, how is the how is like the guard aspect going to play out? Um, and I started, you know, talking to the guys back at the group, and and there just wasn't any full time opportunities there. Um, it's a small attachment to the larger unit. But the funding, of course, you know, different pots of money and all that crap uh, comes from a different area. So we can't just gen up a, a full time, uh, a full time officer spot there. It just doesn't occur. Um, so with that being said, I had to start making some tough choices and think, OK, I probably can't make things come together on a pure traditional guard standpoint. That's probably not going to happen, given the limited number of paydays that we have. Uh, and if I get if I truly get furloughed furlough pays only a couple months of pay. So you start thinking, okay, where is the furlough going to hit? And then sitting in, you know, February, March timeframe, I'm thinking it's going to probably be like late summer, early fall. So I started hitting the pavement and trying to figure out what the next step is uh, as a stopgap. Um, and ideally you'd want something that uh, you could continue after things kind of settle out. Uh, so you're not like having to re-jump and, you know, screw two different opportunities from yourself. So my, my plan was to find another, another military stuff. Uh, Nellis didn't have a whole lot of stuff. Um, I kind of looked around like the Arizona areas, California, uh, kind of a bunch of different like Southwest stuff. Cause that's where I was living. Um, even the Northwest, you know, there's family up there. So like pretty much anywhere. And yeah, you just kind of cold call places and you stu I stumbled into something and they were hiring. Um, and yeah, that, that's basically it. Uh, they were just looking for people and I had ISR experience and here we are. Well, I think one of the interesting parts about that too is where you say you cold called, you go around and you just, you ask. Yeah. And sometimes you may, if you're in, if you're in a rough position, it may be a job that you don't necessarily want. But right. one of the things that the RPA community and the RPA job is there is, and you, 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 you kind of hinted at it where the the job itself although stopgap whatever gets you in your career has some cool aspects of the mission also there's a huge world out there for this stuff oh yeah way outside of military like absolutely i, I remember people saying hey if you want a job in uh north dakota you can go be an rpa guy uh and you will if you want to get an active duty retirement, it's, it's all yep. but guaranteed. I'm going, yep. well, I, I've got like 12 years left where I need to get active duty. And like, that's fine. I'm going, what? Yeah. So yeah. Move up there. You'll finish 12 yeah. years. Now. 
I'm like, there's really? a demand. Yeah. That's how the demand was so high. And then yeah. and I said, yeah. And then after you're done, there's there's contract work out there. Yeah. And then there's all sorts of consulting stuff with mm-hmm. Intel agencies and all this other nonsense. And so the, the community goes way deeper than just kind oh, of yeah. what we're talking about right now. So yep. the let the 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 technicalities getting into the the training stuff what have you noticed that's a that similarity from because you're without going into too much detail mm-hmm. you're very near to the training cycle uh kind of, you're 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 a brand new rpa guy yeah Let's yeah. yeah so with um with that and being so close to that so so fresh in your mind yeah what's the similarities as to training you've been before been through mm-hmm. before for flying and then the difference is i think when we talked about it, it was funny how uh offline that the differences were uh not kind of what you thought they were going to be like the yeah some of it was you know the where the differences were if you talk a little yeah. bit to that i think that's really interesting yeah uh well the the biggest <clears throat> the biggest challenge with rpa stuff is that i mean it seems obvious but it's not something you think about uh you're not there like you're not in the plane and not being physically located with the aircraft is something that is hard to grasp. Uh, you just, you, you still have an air sense because you have so much information presented to you at any given time in this, in the RPA world, like in the, the cockpit or the GCS, there's so much stuff there uh, that it's overwhelming, uh, but it's not inherent to you. Uh, whereas if you're in a plane, you kind of have an idea, okay, I've been flying at this, you know, we're going this fast. I've been going this direction. I kind of know where the airspace is. I know, you just you're you're more attached to the to the actual machine. You feel like you're more a part of it. Um, whereas with the RPA world, it, it's out there and you know where it is. Uh, and that's kind of was the big leap was to try to like put yourself into it and and and, and be a part of the plane, which is, is hard to do when you're not physically in the plane. There's no re- there's no uh, there's no like seat of the pants feeling. You just don't have it because that GCS doesn't move. So. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's a big challenge. Um, from the physical aspect of flying it, it, it's really not too much different. Um, you know, the stick is the stick, you know, push, pull left and right throttles, all that stuff works the same. Um, some of the computer aspects of it are very engineering based and from like, you know, monkeys like us, like we, we just, you know, I'm just going to revert to hand flying stuff. And sometimes that doesn't work out. So you have to kind of think like an engineer and think, okay, how, how do they want this to work? Um, you know, what particular mode am I in? Like, okay, it, it just requires you to do a lot more of the reading where a lot of that stuff would come intuitively if you were in the plane because you're reacting with the plane. So it's just different. So just, just to uh, um, summarize that, what Pat was saying was the plane was made by and for engineers not by engineers for pilots. The ergonomics Correct. of the yeah. of, of yeah. the of the avionics, mm-hmm. not what he would call uh, meathead friendly. No, it's not. Um, and you know the thing is, like once you've done it enough, uh, it, it's fine, and you don't you don't right. think anything of it. Yeah. Uh, it's like anything. Like when I started flying uh, the Airbus, that was a challenge to to grasp the way that the autopilot worked on the Airbus. Um, you know the buttons, the push, the pull, all that stuff was was unique to the Airbus logic. Once you get it, it's like, oh, this makes total sense. It's easy now. Yep. But mm-hmm. every the experiences that I've had, it's kind of like, okay, it's a learning curve. But I mean, that's how it is when you fly new stuff. You got to figure out the nuances of it. Yeah. So it's not bad. And once you get it, it's like it's a very capable machine. This RPA, like it's it's quite impressive. Um, yeah. So it's it's been it's been fun. It's been exciting. It's been challenging. Uh, it's like learning anything new. There's that frustration period before all of a sudden it kicks, and you're like, oh, okay, I get it now. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. I, so interesting. I, I can count numerous times where there was stuff where it was like, man, I, yeah, when I went from a jet to a, uh, a turboprop, I oh, never yeah. turboprops. that was, yeah. So I'm like, why is, why does it have six throttles? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, that's but, right. You know, like learning, learning, yeah. learning that kind of stuff or learning that kind of stuff. Yep. And then, then f- moving, over into say it was weird because when i went to boeing a 747 mm-hmm. automation didn't speak to me it was it was challenging me, well you flew a boeing i'm like no i flew kc-135 yeah well, that's, a, that's that's different no that's not that's the same not the same it's not the same it's not the same thing no 
and uh, Boeing automation was always, I was always trying to mm-hmm. master it. And I never felt like I really did. Whereas Airbus, yeah. I felt like I mastered it relatively rapidly. Like it just spoke, like I spoke French yeah. or something. I don't know. It just spoke to me right away. Um, and Boeing, yeah, the 7-4, I just, the LVSA or uh, LSAV, as some people call it, or I, I can't remember exactly what the vernacular was, but I still struggled with why all that. And then the Airbus, it was, and some people, uh, you're not a real pilot. No, I'm like, whatever. Just talk to your little smack. I don't care. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not in a measuring contest. What I am into is whatever I can do to take the load off of my very insignificant brain so I can think more and be safer. And I just felt like Airbus had, had kind of that, it married up with the way I thought better. Well, and I'll tell you this, if I can interject quick, that yeah. is kind of the logic in the way that the, the RPAs are built. Oh, the RPAs really? are built to alleviate um, workload. Uh, that's how they're set. And, and when you understand how they're built to alleviate it, then you can allow it to do that. But well, there's so much stuff to learn to get to that point that sure. you're, you're kind of overwhelmed, even though, you know, those things aren't fast. So... Well, no, and I think that that rolls directly into what I was just about to ask you. You went from flying tankers to mm-hmm. ISR platform. Yeah. And now you're in a mixed RSI tactical aircraft platform, essentially. Mm-hmm. What kind of a transit now? Okay. You're not doing strafing runs in an A-10 or <laughs> cap with an F-16, but you do have to understand a lot of basic tactical principles. Oh yeah. To you know shoot the Hades bomb as we were talking about. <laughs> the Hades bomb, that's right. Yeah. So yeah. when you're getting ready to drop the Hades, uh for those of you who don't know that's an Iron Eagle reference, please check it out. Um <laughs> going from a tanker to that with a little with some ISR in there in uh-huh. between. What what's that like? I mean cuz a lot of these folks <clears throat> that are doing it are coming straight from pilot training so they don't know anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's so true. Um, yeah, and I'll say that like the tanker experience, especially overseas with just comms, is is huge because you understand there's a lot of people on any given frequency at any time, oh, yeah, um, yeah. which is always the case. And the same thing with the ISR world when we were doing that. There's so many people you could be talking to, um, and then you have the stack where there's multiple aircraft in the area. We don't really, I don't, I don't know enough. I can't speak enough on the RPA world to speak if you're in charge of that, like as like the warden or whatever, if you're running the stack or whatever. Um, but I know a lot of ISR guys have done that, especially in the MC-12, they're controlling the stack and they're making sure, okay, we got to make sure these guys are here, those guys are there. And so having that air sense is huge. And again, you have to step into the world. So when you, when you get into the GCS, you have to really think, okay, I'm with this airplane. I got to think I'm out in the airspace okay, there's these other guys out there. So you really have to, you really can't just sit there and let it do its thing. Like you have to be with it the whole time. Um, yeah, so it is It is challenging, but the experiences that you get from these other assets that you know I've gotten to fly and that anytime you've ever been deployed, anybody who's ever flown in the desert or driven the boulevard knows what an absolute mess that is over there uh, with all the controlling agencies, with all the aircraft, all the players, the ground. Like, I mean, at any given moment, if you, like, I remember one time we were, uh, we were, this is, we were in Manas coming down from Kyrgyzstan into Afghanistan. And we were working with A-10s. There was a tick, troops in contact. And there was, unfortunately, I think there was an IED that had gone off. And so the army guys on the ground were working on doing the evac stuff. So there were, um, the 60s were coming up to, to evac them out. There were Apaches on there doing gun runs. There were A-10s that were coming up to get gas and going back down doing that yo-yo bit. Uh, so we were working with them. And then there was a B1 that was somewhere out there that was going to come join us. And then you've got the, the, like the AWACS guys, I think it was Taipei was their call sign. They were out there telling us what's going on. And then you're working with air traffic control. So there was a lot going on on any given time that you went out there and just having that sense of who is where in the stack really pays dividends. And that's the sort of stuff that if you've seen it a few times, then you can adjust to it at different levels down the career path. And fortunately, that's something that, you know, as tanker guys, we were subject to because getting a chance to do it now, it's not that cosmic. So, no. but it, it certainly is task saturating. Oh yeah, definitely. Especially when you're new. I, I've met yeah. 
I don't think you ever had the, uh, depending on who you are, the pleasure of flying <laughs> with navigators. No, um, I didn't. I flew with them, but not when, I mean, we already had the Pacer Craig upgrade, so they flew yeah, with us, I, but I, I don't think I was, This isn't pre-Pacer Craig, but this was uh, Block 30. Uh-huh. When I flew, uh, I did some, um, some like the SOAR stuff, special ops. Oh, yeah, yeah, yep. And we had a nav. Yeah. And the thing was, is the nav, having the nav on board added two more radios to the... Oh, okay. So you had wow. you had three radios, essentially. So you, yeah. uh, for, you had AR primary, you had an interplane, and then you mm-hmm. had eight you're controlling. And then you would have yep. two radios on board that talked to some other people. Okay. <laughs> and at any given time, all three of the radios could be going at once. Yeah, yeah. And a new navigator would be absolutely crushed by these things. <laughs> I mean, just overwhelmed to the point where they couldn't, yeah. they didn't know what was happening on any one of them. A good experienced nav, I shouldn't say good, an experienced navigator. Yeah. Really, it was just an experienced thing. Yeah. Experienced navigator could handle it yep. quite easily and, and, and adeptly to the point where you'd able, you were able to kind of put yourself mm-hmm. into a mode where it's like, okay, they've got that. You're flying the airplane, co pilot's taking care of this. Mm-hmm. boom has been the back and you're ready to do ar or whatever the yeah. case getting ready for the next segment and mind you we don't have the most challenging difficult thing to do next but when you add all those radios in man it can crush anybody's brain oh absolutely when you're new with no experience yeah. Yeah. You, you're the you're sisyphus you're pushing the boulder uphill and it's going to roll right yep. over when you're in well the- and something just drops off your cross check and whether it's yeah. whether it's physically flying the airplane or facilitating the mission or whatever it is you're yeah. doing uh, if you're trying to listen to radio calls instead of other stuff, then it's going to fall off. And it, and it, yeah, it happens. Um, that I think is a big jump for anybody in this community when they step into it. Um, just because at any given point you could be talking to, you know, one of three or four different groups on several radios. Yeah. And you just got to listen up and listen for your call sign. And it's, it's hard. Now on a technical, another technical question, or yeah. more technical training wise, mm-hmm. you guys do. So I assume you have to do, you know targeting and then ordinance release in practice do you get to practice with live ordinance ever where you get to shoot like you know a, a real hades where you yeah. get <laughs> just carry one from point to point it's hit or miss i mean it's truly hit or miss i'd say from a financial standpoint it's probably just all inerts okay. um and uh i don't i don't think they let you shoot a whole lot of real stuff um, it's going to be, if you're doing, if you're doing anything, you're going to be dropping inerts. I mean, that's going to be it. Um, just cause, just cause that stuff is expensive and yeah, it's cheaper. That makes yeah, sense. yeah. I mean, we can make a lead bomb that, you know, doesn't do anything, but hit a point for, you know, 200 bucks and versus some of these, some of the munitions are so expensive. Oh my so gosh. yeah. So they're not letting us out here, drop stuff like Ooh. the expensive stuff. Yeah. I know. Like the Hades. And, like the Hades bomb. Yeah. Like the big bright orange Hades bomb. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You even remember the. Color. I remember, yeah, I remember it. Because I was like, "Oh, oh that's a boy, champion dog, champion dog." Yeah. I used to have a, I used to have a name tag that said Doug Masters on it, <laughs> and if people would see it. They, they would go, "I don't have a Lieutenant Masters on my roster." Johan, <laughs> it's a joke. Nobody yeah, ever, no one, one gets person it. ever got it. Yeah, it yeah, yeah. But I mean, obviously, we fly with the tape deck in the flight in the cockpit to listen to music. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a given. Now, if there's one thing that for anybody who's a non-military person or non-pilot yeah. that listens to this, all three of you out there, I will say <laughs> that people do listen to music when they fly. It's yeah. fairly, it's fairly regular. Single mm-hmm. seat, multiple seat aircraft doesn't really yep. matter. Uh, in fact, became such a thing that Bose, one of our wonderful sponsors, and yeah. also their headset makers, have not only added a plug-in, but now a Bluetooth, Bluetooth. Yes, on their headsets that cut out when a radio call comes in. So that is pretty cool. It's very cool. I don't think Doug had that. And I remember one he of did the, not. I feel like he missed a lot of radio calls. I think he probably, <laughs> I think he probably did. One yeah. of my favorite Queen songs is in that movie, One Vision, which uh, every time I play it for my wife, she forgets that it's a Queen song. She's a big fan. So I go, Shannon, are you serious? Like, how many times do I got to play this for you? And she goes, is that from the flying movie that you think is good? <laughs> that's the end. And that's uh, the end of conversation. That's right? where it stops, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. I think one of the things that... Now, so you're back 
you're in the like you're right you're in it right now you're probably mm-hmm. going to be on doing this for a while when yeah. when do you foresee how long do you foresee yourself doing full-time rpa guy and then going back to the airlines or do you foresee do you have the kind of open-ended right now yeah and it's it's more on the latter side of things uh, i'm super fortunate that the unit that took me in uh is is pretty flexible with stuff and has offered hey you can do it, it's not uh you can do full-time you can do traditional whatever it is it's not uh, the full-time is is line flying it's not like an agr job you know where you're you have additional duties those those do occur but they're that's not part of what i was hired into i was hired into as a as a line flyer you know, for the foreseeable future, it seems like RPAs are going to be fairly prevalent in, I guess, the operational aspect of the military and, and probably a lot of other stuff, a lot of other things too. So it just depends. And, and this is one of the fortunate spots I've, I've found myself in is to have the ability to figure out which is going to work best. Um, do I want to go back to, you know, the majors and fly for a while there while balancing, you know, a traditional reservist slot? Um, or do I want to make it full-time for a while and, and, and use the military leave option, which the airlines are, are very good about, uh, until things kind of settle out or until I, I can find that balance, uh, that's an option too. Um, I think for right now, I'm going to be doing full-time RPA for, for at least, at least the foreseeable future until I can kind of get a grasp on, on where things are headed. Well, I don't blame you at all. I think a lot of us are doing so. Yeah. Yeah. Just. Letting things settle. I, I I can't speak for some people. I know uh, a lot of people are asking me, "How oh, are you flying a lot?" And I, well, no, I'm doing a lot of work for the guard. That's not necessarily flying. Right. Some other stuff that I'm I'm helping out with. But one of the funny parts that goes along with that is, oh, what about the airline guys? You know, a lot of people laid off, a lot of people furloughed, whatever. And I'm like, well, no, not as many as we thought right. they're going to be. Right. And in some cases, some people are actually, because of the way this has worked out, mm-hmm. people are calling it sick. The airlines did a lot of flexing to staff correctly and all right. that. Yep. Some guys are doing, some guys are, are taking advantage of the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. They're not being manipulative or bad or anything like that, or doing something that's, you know, uh, uh, has malfeasance written all over it. They're actually taking advantage yep. of the rightful opportunity to go out and make a few extra bucks, which in this era is a, you should be doing that because yes. really not sure what tomorrow is going to hold. Yeah. Any industry, right. And, and yeah. we'll, we'll kind of get to that because we're, as we close up here, I wanted to get kind of your overall takeaway on all of this. So mm-hmm. where you started from to where you ended up now mm-hmm. and kind of your two cents when it comes to any advice you may have to give or, or more, moreover, not necessarily advice, just a, Hey, this, this is kind of what I see is uh-huh. the last 15 20 years of my life yeah and repeat this don't repeat that kind of a thing yeah well the one thing i can say is you have to look you have to look for the opportunities and things um what happened this past year with this covid and, and the complete shifting of how travel is done yeah that sucks i mean that that is awful and it and nobody saw that coming and for those of us that love flying like it sucks to not be in an airplane like, and it sucks to, yeah, we can go back to it at some point, obviously for the airline guys that are doing mill leave and whatnot, you know, you're going to get back to it, but in the interim, it really does suck not physically flying airplanes. Like that's not fun when that's what you do. That's what you enjoy to do. That's, that's, that's not fun. Um, but you have to look for the, the upside of things. We're not going to have an experience like this, hopefully again in our lifetimes. Uh, so the opportunity to do something different, knowing you can come back to the airline because it's there, like for guys that have found other jobs, you had a chance or there is an opportunity. And this is what I told myself. There's an opportunity to do something here that maybe I wouldn't have done otherwise because I I had to keep doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, so you try to find something positive in it and well, I never thought I would, I never would have said to myself, Hey, uh, 15 years from now, you're going to, you're going to, I wouldn't have said last year. Hey, guess what you're going to do in a year? You're going to be flying RPAs. I'd be like, yeah, okay. No, I'm not. Maybe, maybe one of those cool Mavic drones or something, but no, but yeah, here we are. Like, this is where we're at. And I can't say it's bad. Like it's an experience. And when I get to look back on my flying career, I got to check a lot of boxes and, yeah. and that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I consider myself very fortunate for being able to do that. So I, I can't say it's a, it's, 
it's bad. I can say the experience has not been the same for everybody. So I can't speak to everyone else's experiences because there's a lot of people who, who did not fare so well and, and that sucks. Um, so for me, I guess if there's one thing and we could kind of talked about this, one of the things that I could change about the airline industry um, would be the volatility. Like yeah. it, there was just, well, no, there, you just there's no you, consistency. You're so smart. You just jumped right into the the memory items, the bold face. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. number one is if you could change one thing about professional flying in and of itself in the whole aspect of it is uh, the volatility. And volatility. Is it just the airlines or just overall with everything? Uh, you know, I think it's, I think it stems from the airlines and they're affected the most. It doesn't stem from, but I think they're affected the most when it comes to volatility. Sure, sure. Um, there are other ones like the cargo guys. I mean, they're, they're short on pilots now because they're so busy. Because yeah, yeah. nobody's nobody's traveling, everybody's shipping. No one's going out to the stores, uh, so they're doing just fine. So it's more of the the people mover side of the airlines that that is the volatile side because the cargo side that doesn't really change. Um, yeah, it, well, until they invent, until they have RPA. That's yeah. And Antonov one twenty four is flying. Yeah. Nobody on board with tons with with the yeah. fifty more tons of stuff or whatever you know. That's the one. That's the one like gotcha with that world. But the only thing, and someone said this to me a while back, and I was like, oh, that really makes sense. They were like, yeah, I'm not really worried about that because do they have, uh, do they have like driverless trains yet? And trains are on tracks. And I'm <laughs> like, oh yeah, I guess not. So okay, I guess the cargo world's probably fine for a while. Yeah, I well, I think we're all safe. And I I had a discussion yeah. with a guy of a friend of mine this is 10 years ago now at least mm -hmm. and he said are, are you know you should be worried but he said you should yeah. not <laughs> no i'm not worried i said it's not the airplane I go, the airplane can fly alone by itself i said there's two things though yeah uh one is the infrastructure at the airports yep is currently i don't know how and i'm sure they've figured out but i don't know how once an airplane lands they're going to get it from the runway to the gate mm -hmm. in a fast enough time period for it to make sense to pull the pilot out. Right. So, and it, we're talking speed money, right? Like speed and money. Yep. Oh, there's a lot of money spent from the terminal. Yeah. From the, from the terminal, like where you, when you push back to the runway, I mean, yeah, look, I, at, look at O'Hare. Latency time, right? Latency. Yeah. You're, You're just talking, running both motors. I mean, they talk about it all the time in, yep. in company memorandums. Yep. But trying to reduce latency time. So if they're talking about a company company memorandum, it's w worth a lot of money. Well, that's why so, we do single engine taxi. Yeah, if you have an Same airplane thing. that lands, yeah, and it can only taxi at four knots because of the way the GPS mm -hmm. is set up. Blah blah blah. And I don't know any of this, so I, yeah, I'm, I don't like, know. I'm a dumb dumb meathead, and I don't know Me anything. <laughs> but if it's got a taxi and it can't get to the gate, and you can't, and you or or you want to restructure the airport where now the gates are pressed right up against the runway, which mm -hmm. is great. And you have less land and all that. I'm all for it, but you're talking probably trillions of dollars. Oh yeah. Developing that, that ground and that mm -hmm. land to move the air, to change the airports and like right. who's going to fit that bill, foot that bill. They don't want to do it. Right. The infrastructure is my one issue. And then the second issue, and this is the one I always brought up to him. And it's kind of like along that uh, train track. Mm -hmm analogy <clears throat> uh airplanes have autopilot and they fly airborne fine you can get them to descend you can get them to mm -hmm. climb out all that stuff will do everything for you. airbus will do everything for you it'll auto land but there's one feature it doesn't have yet and that's auto takeoff oh yeah you're right there's no auto takeoff yeah, yeah you're right <laughs> and I, you know it's kind of like my joke but i'm but really when there's an auto takeoff button that then I will can be, be worried. Yeah. Now I'll be, yeah. Then I'll go, <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Here it comes. Yeah. And it's still going to take 15 years yeah. and 15 years. I'm going to be 57. That sounds like a pretty good time to say. Yeah. That's good. Now buy I'm going to go, I'm going to go drive trains then because those will yeah. still be. Yeah. I'm going to go trains because nobody's <laughs> ever going to put, take nope. the drive there. Nope. I'll do that. All right, no, number two. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that they should take away and you kind of, you touched on this a little bit, um, but more, this will be a little more direct. The one thing that folks should take away about your experiences in aviation, mm -hmm. how it can specifically help the members of the pilot network and the folks. Yeah. List. Well, it's real, it's, it's simple, but it's not. Uh, and that's, you always have a backup plan. 
you always have something else that you're either doing at the same time so you can just jump right into it if there's a shift in what you can do with your full-time deal or vice versa um, where your, your, your part-time thing can become your full-time. I realize that's, that's a challenge. Um, but that's something that I would say I heard early on and, you know, I got into the garden in 04 uh, and I heard early on when I got back from pilot training, uh, don't ever get rid of the guard job. Don't ever get rid of it. You always yep. keep it. Yep. And, you know, there are times where like when, when the market was booming and we were flying all the time that you're like, ah, I don't need this. It'd be so much easier if I just had one job. And it's like, no, no, just, just keep it. You never know. And yeah, you just, you don't know. Mm-hmm. So whether it's a military backup, uh, whether it's uh, some sort of on the side job, like investing or real estate or whatever it is, you know, do what you can to, to educate yourself on something that yeah. can, can supplement your income yep. when there's these cyclical dips. Yep. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Uh, then number three, the last mm-hmm. old face memory item, whatever the hell the Navy. Yeah. Calls, um, <laughs> something you think 60 year old plus patch, you know, so we'll call it 65 because that's the age of retirement for the airline. Yep. So something you think, how about this? Something you think 66 year old. There patch, it is. Because yeah. We'll say you had a year off, you know, uh-huh. you were retired for a year. So now you're thinking <clears throat> should know uh, about, or that, that, that dude would tell you today to do or keep doing or stop doing Yeah. in your current affairs and situation. Yeah. Uh, it it kind of stems along the lines of the second bold face, whatever you call it. Uh, um, and that's uh, kind of being productive with your time off. Um, and, and saving. So saving money, uh, be one, saving information that you've like learned. Don't like just read over stuff or, or think it's going to just stick. Uh, <laughs> you have to be active in this stuff. Like, yeah, I've tried, you fall asleep to a podcast and you think, oh, I'm just going to know what I learned in the podcast overnight. And the next morning I'll figure it out. Yeah. I don't remember anything and, I, and then whatever. So it's lost, but yeah, saving money, saving the information you've learned and using the time that you have, like for the last year, with such a reduction in flying that there's a lot of people who are like, okay, what am I going to do now? And I was one of those people where I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And yeah, I'm looking for other jobs and I'm trying to stay relevant in my understanding of flying. So I don't forget how to do everything, but that's where you can use that opportunity to learn something new. Um, and, and that way down the road, if you ever come across this again, you've spent this time productively uh, because again, we probably aren't going to have something like this again in our, in our lifetime like some sort of big, massive event like this. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, God willing, hopefully we won't. Yeah, well, that's, um, that's you know, hopefully that's going to be the case. Um, yeah. But, you know, I saw there's a quote from uh, that author, John Steinbeck. And he said, if you find yourself in a fair fight, your tactics suck. And so you kind of want to stack the deck in your favor. So during this time frame, when you are at a disadvantage, you know, when when your you're previous, in my case, my previous tactics of, you know, full-time airline, traditional guard, uh, that didn't work. That sucked because here I am, like if the airlines furlough me, the only thing I have is a, a part-time job gig. Like I'm not setting myself up for success. And so, and, and so finding those opportunities basically in that downtime uh, to educate yourself. So that way, if something ever comes up and it doesn't have to be some sort of massive global event like this, it could just be something. What if your medical's gone? You know, like that's a big one, you know, preparing yourself for something that's not, you don't need a medical for is something that. Yep. You know, that's something that I don't have enough, uh, enough backup towards. So yeah. I think just, yeah, just being prepared for the unknown, you know, that's, a yeah, good one. I, those are all. So I, first one is, uh, volatility. Something yep. you change. Second one is the uh, key takeaways save. And I like just the idea of save information, save time, save mm-hmm. money, save, 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 just figure out all that stuff. Keep it. Mm-hmm. Keep it close hold so you have it to rely on in the future. Yeah. And then uh, retired Pat telling uh, Pat today is um, that uh, uh, have a backup plan. And that doesn't necessarily mean just for the one thing like, okay, right. this, it's kind of backup, backup kind of, well, it's like we have an air and I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take it and just, morph it again into the the vernacular of being a flyer is the a, redu- a system of redundancy in your yeah. life yeah so yeah we don't fly airplanes that have like one one yeah. line to the like aileron there's like seven yeah so if something you know something happens to the one thing you have something else and if something yeah. happens to that you still might have something else 
And then once you're down onto your emergency power there, you then mm -hmm. you start working on your your next set of backups. Yep. That's right. Going, you you always keep rebuilding redundancy. Yep. It's kind of cool. You're unlike being in an airplane, you can be an engineer of your life where you're always trying to yeah revamp and change things. I think that's a really cool way to look at it. I also think that's a great way for us to close, Pat. I want to yeah. thank because Pat and I are old friends. We don't get a chance to talk, so this is a no, chance, this is good. chance to catch up a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, for anybody, uh, normally, if you want to, I would I'd let Pat do tell you his socials and all that. But uh, because of the current situation and what he's doing, uh, if you do want to get a hold of Pat or you have questions about the RPA program or what unit he might be in and you're interested in that kind of life, uh, hit us up at heyguysatthepilotnetwork.com. Uh, you can also find me on the socials and I will reach out to Pat and I that will works. see Pat wants to talk to you <laughs> doesn't then you're screwed but if he does uh, i'll get you guys connected and he can answer whatever yeah, more specific absolutely. questions you have yep and until then please keep the shiny side up and the greasy side down we'll talk to you soon fly safe everybody thanks dude